0: But hey, if you're new, you're visiting us. You're a guest. Uh, we just want to say thank you, first of all, for being here. We started a, s- a series, a brand new series last Sunday called Awakening, and the purpose of this series is really to awaken you up, is to wake you up to the things of God. There are three things, three attributes that are foundational for the life of a believer, and that's faith, hope, and love. Even if you're not a believer, you know the importance of love, you know the importance of hope, you know that it's important to have faith, but these areas of our life as a Christian are so important and so crucial, and the purpose of this series is really to expand and stretch our faith, to grow our hope, and to expand our love, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we talked about uh, awakening your faith. Awakening your faith through prayer and through reading God's word. And so I would encourage you to go online, go back and listen to that message. You can go on our YouTube page and get caught up. But this morning, we're going to be talking about awakening hope. Awakening hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope you're ready. Ready for hope. Hebrews 6:13 through 20 is where we're going. If you got your Bibles out. Or your Uversion app on your phone, pull that up. It's also gonna be on the screen behind me, but it's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. And my prayer for today is that you would leave here more hopeful than when you came in. I I think there's a lot that we can learn from this passage, although a lot of the words are Old Testament. It's gonna be a little hard to understand. We're gonna unpack it, and I'm gonna try and convey it in the best way that I know how and how it relates to us in 2018. But we're really believing that you would be filled with hope today. And really believing that this year would be a year of hope. That this year would be the best year yet. That God has a purpose and a plan for you. If you have breath in your lungs, then God has not done with you yet. That there is a great purpose and a great plan and a great calling on your life. And if you're dead, well, then you're done, okay? And you're in heaven and you're worshiping. But if you're not and you're breathing here this morning, God has a plan for you and the best is yet to come. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter six, verse 13 through 20. You there, everybody with me? All right, let's read. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that's good news, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This is when it gets really good. We have this, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You all understood that? Awesome, right on. Okay, good, we're off to a good start. Let's pray, pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word. God, your word that is alive, that it's breathing, that it's active, and ultimately, God, that it changes us. It changes who we are. When we open our hearts to it and we receive it, God, I ask this morning, every heart in this room would be open to hear what you have to say this morning. God, whatever misrepresentation we have of religion, of Christianity, of you, Jesus, I pray we would just set it at the door and we allow our minds to be clear and hear what you have to say. God, change us, meet with us, speak to us. We want to encounter you in a real way. Jesus, we love you and we glorify you and it's in your name that we pray and all God's people said? Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question this morning. What is your anchor? Better yet, more descriptive, what's your rock? What is your rock? If I asked you the question, what is your rock? That thing that you can just depend on, the thing that you could count on, many of you would say, Jesus, right? We're in a church. It's the right thing to say. You say, Jesus. But I guarantee that if you really thought about it, as I did this week, every single day, is he my rock? Is he who I depend on for everything? Or do I put my trust in more things than him? Is he kind of secondary or down here on the list? And I knew this morning that you'd all say Jesus, so I took to Facebook yesterday and I asked the question, what is your rock? Who can you count on? What is that thing that you're just like, this is my rock? Number one, uh, someone said basketball, basketball, and it was not Caleb, I promise. Number two, someone said my husband, Jesse, he is my hero. Oh, that's so sweet. Number three, my fur babies, I don't even know what those are. <laughs> Stuffed animals, I, I kept, kept pets, pets, okay, thank you, thank you. I love this, it's very interactive. Number four, coffee, for sure, all right? That is my rock. Number five, somebody said, I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Number six, somebody said goldfish. And I know this person, they are obsessed with goldfish, seriously. (laughs) The kind you eat, the snack, right? Number seven, puppies. Puppies. My wife said puppies. This is her, this is what she put. She knows I want a puppy. I feel like this was a dig. I really do. She knows how bad I want a puppy. I can't have one. Our landlord won't let us. And so anyways, okay, anyways. Uh, Number eight, my father. My father, that's a great rock, my father. Number nine, my cat. She's my emotional crutch someone said. That's weird. (laughs) Number 10, Mariah Carey. It's even weirder. It's even weirder. And that's after New Year's Eve last year, right? So, I mean, this person has a lot of grace, a lot of grace. She's been redeemed. Look, if we could be completely honest with ourselves, day in and day out, I I think that it may be some other things. I really do, because I know that it's some other things for me sometimes. I know that when my wife does something that gets under my skin, which is really never, you're perfect. I mean, let's just be honest, okay? But that one time uh, <laughs> that she didn't meet my expectation or whatnot, and it bothered me so bad that it affected my entire day that I'm putting way too much of my hope in an individual, in someone, right? And a lot of us put hopes, our hopes in, in, in things, Um, you know, because we think that's important. We think a career and an education, all that is important, which it is important. I applaud those things. Those of you that are grinding out, getting your education, getting your diploma, those things are very important. But is that your rock? Is that what you put all your trust and all your faith in? And if it is, then I believe that it is going to fall flat. Every single time. You wanna know why? Because things do not have a soul. Your car does not have a soul. You may have a really cool car, but it doesn't have a soul. It cannot ask you how you are doing. Well, maybe now it can, I don't know, with technology and that. But it doesn't care how you're doing, okay? Thing, it, it, things do not have a soul. And so a level up above that would be making someone your rock, your wife or your girl or my man. He's my rock. You have no idea. Fast forward 25 years into marriage, who are you? I can't believe that you let me down, right? So why is that? Because that soul is broken just like this soul. That soul is sinful just like my soul. That soul is imperfect just like my soul. So we need something that is like our soul but completely different than our soul. We need something that understands our weakness but is outside of weakness, is not weak, Someone that knows the limitations that we face as a human but has no limitations. Someone that is perfect, spotless, but yet so close to us. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is to be the anchor of our soul. He is all that we need. He is all that we need in this life. There is nothing else that is fully going to satisfy us in the way that a relationship with Jesus Christ can. And in Hebrews, where we pick up in chapter 6, we see that one of my favorite verses is in Hebrews, down towards the end, where it says that we have an anchor for our soul. And the the writer is building up to that moment. That's at the end. And what he's going to do, as we go verse by verse, he's going to build a case for, for why we can have this hope. And he's going to, speak to these Hebrews, okay? These are Jewish believers in a way that they would understand. So a lot of this language is languages that they're familiar with, that that they can relate with, that we just can't. And so I'm gonna do my best to help you understand that, but just imagine this. Imagine these Hebrews, these Jewish now believers, that the moment they confess their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, that was a betrayal to their Jewish community. Right? That was a complete betrayal. A lot of them were excommunicated or completely isolated from their family, rejected by their friends, lost their businesses because now they're saying Jesus is the Messiah, and this was a complete betrayal to the Jewish community that they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's writing to these Jewish believers and he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to give them hope because they are this close from walking away they are this close from calling it quits they are this close from saying i've had it that's enough that the moment i gave my life to christ things got harder they didn't get easier some of you may be able to relate to that that the moment you become a christian i'm not promising you an easier life it could get much harder but there is a hope that's anchored to your soul that there is something that we have now that allows us to endure even the darkest hour, even to be able to face death with this hope that surpasses all understanding. Almost an exhilaration where, is it better that I stay or that I go? Right? It's that kind of understanding that when we go, we are face to face with our creator. No more pain, no more suffering. Jesus beat death, hell, and the grave, and he's promised us eternal life when we put our faith in him. So, This writer's writing to these Hebrews that now believe in that. They believe in the gospel, which is what? Good news. Simply put, the gospel is good news. This is why as a believer, it should be, it's not easy. I was about to say it should be so easy to share your faith, but it's not easy, is it? But the best way to share your faith is to just talk about this good news news because it is good news for everyone who hears it. Why? Because we are all sinners headed somewhere that is not going to be fun. We are all sinners that are in denial and in rebellious with God but Jesus came, he changed all of that. That when he died on a cross that we have forgiveness now for every sin, past, present, and future and now we have direct access to God. Before we were rebellious to God, now we are partners with God. Not only that, but now we are partners with Christ. And we are on a mission now to tell people about him. So there is great hope in the gospel. It is good news. And let's dig in. Okay, I want to start in Hebrews right off the beginning, verse 13. And what I found in reading this chunk, verses 13 through 20, that there are at least, probably more, at least Three things that we can gain hope from. You with me? You taking notes? When you get to heaven, God's going to ask you for your notes. Okay? I'm just saying. I hope you're taking notes. If you're new, I'm just kidding. like, oh crap, I need a pen. Hope comes from knowing that waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is not wasted time. I think that waiting is so hard for us now just because we don't have to wait for anything. It's like, with technology, it's just normal, and that's where we're at, and I love technology. I love that you can click a button and you can have any movie you want on your television screen. In a couple years, people will not even know what Blockbuster is. There's a generation that will never hear of Blockbuster. It's like, yeah, we drove in and rented a DVD and came back home. And they're like, DVD player, what is that? It's crazy. Because technology is just... Everything's ready, it's successful. I was driving down the freeway the other day and there was a, a, a billboard for Dignity Health that said online waiting room. Which means that you can wait wherever you want for the doctor and they're gonna send you a message and then you can go and the doctor's ready for you. But you can be at home, you can be doing whatever you're shopping. It's called an online waiting room. Why, because we hate waiting. Who, I mean, DMV, hello. That's a glimpse of hell honestly. (laughs) But listen, we hate waiting. And I really think that in the biblical times, because there was no technology like what we have, right? No phones, no immediate access. There was almost a sacredness placed on waiting. There was almost a value in waiting that they knew the importance of it. And in, in verse 14, it says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God is preparing you in the waiting. God is preparing you for your purpose in the waiting. There are certain things that God is working out inside of you in this time of waiting. He's changing your character. He's making you into a better person. He's equipping you with Giftings and abilities and strengths and talents that you would not know what to do with if God just gave you the promise If God gave you your promise you've been praying for right now, you may not even be able to steward it well You may not know what to do with it You may not have the wisdom or the insight to even know How to appreciate it and how to use it in the way that God's calling you to use it So there is a a great value And a sacredness, I believe, in the waiting. In the waiting. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Blessed are those who wait for him. It's in the waiting where God prepares us for the promise. Just write that down. It's in the waiting where God prepares us for the promise. Much like Abraham, he patiently waited for his promise. Lisa Bevere, uh, she says, God prepares you in private to reveal you in public. That God reveals your, your character and who you are as a person in private so that he can reveal you in public. And some of you may not ever have a, a public influence or a public ministry. But God is still preparing you even so that you'd be able to steward it well. What makes waiting so difficult is that there really isn't much value placed on it. We need to value the waiting. Look, waiting is an inv- inevitable part of everyone's life, and it's a necessary part too. We wait nine months for a baby to be born. Can you imagine if they tried to create like a process to speed it up? I mean, it doesn't seem that far-fetched, right? That, that's how my, I don't know why that came to my mind, but uh, that would be crazy. We wait for wounds to heal, all right? There's a waiting for our wounds to heal. That, I mean, that could be physical, emotional, spiritual. Uh, we wait for our children to mature. That takes time, some longer than others. Uh, we wait for God to fulfill his promises. We wait for God to fulfill his promises. This is where the author of Hebrews brings in the history of Abraham. These Jewish believers, the Hebrews, they would have known this story front and back, cover to cover. They know Abraham. They know the whole story. And what he's doing, he's reminding them, remember the promise God made to Abraham? Remember the promise that he gave him? He waited 25 years before he even saw the beginning of that promise when he finally his wife finally gave birth to Isaac and they were 100 years old he got the promise at 75 he waited 25 years hope comes from knowing that waiting time is not wasted time secondly hope comes from knowing that God always keeps his promise how many of you are grateful for that this morning that we serve a God that always keeps his promise, that stands by his word, that's faithful, that doesn't forget about us, he doesn't leave us or forsake us, that if he told us something, he's gonna be faithful to bring it into fruition. This is the God that we serve. If you're taking notes, always just write it in caps, underline it, circle it. God always keeps his promise, and I think there's someone here this morning that needs to hear that, that God gave you a word He spoke something over you and you've been waiting and waiting and you're just just sick of waiting. You're just, you're done. You may be this close to giving up as well. God always keeps his promise. Look at verse 16. Let's start at 18, or no, 16, sorry. (laughs) People swear uh, by someone greater than themselves. Remember as a kid you used to swear to God? You say swear to God and your mom will look at you like slap you on the face. It was like the biggest sin you ever committed, I swear to God. She's like, You don't swear to God. Have you ever wondered who God swears to? He swears by himself. Why? Because there's no one greater than God. And so in this verse, God literally swears by his own name. Not swearing like a cuss word, but swearing as in making a promise, an oath. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument, as in the oath, oath is firm, that is it, it's said, it's done, it's finished, it's like when you send out an email, now you're responsible for what's in that email, right? It's like, why is that anyways? Because nobody can take anybody by their word anymore. In my profession, it's like, you don't have it in the email, you're toast, if you agreed on something with someone on the phone, they're very likely to say, oh, I never said that. So we have to have email trails a mile long to, we saw, it, we call it CYA, which means cover your, okay? So, but we say CYA, okay? But that's what it's about. Why? Because people are just undependable. They're unreliable. But God is not. God is not. Look at this. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. We are the heirs, by the way. We'll get into that in a moment. He confirmed it with an oath. God did so that by two unchangeable things, a promise and an oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. That is good news. Impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So there was a promise made by God to Abraham and it was sealed with an oath, but it wasn't just for Abraham, it was for us. Because as believers, when we have faith in Christ, we are now heirs to the promise given to Abraham. Do you know what that means? It means that supernaturally we've been grafted in as part of Abraham's family, so much so that what God has promised him we will inherit as heirs. An heir, a word we don't really use that often, it's a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. So now, by faith, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we have faith in Him, we are now heirs to this promise. And I want to tell you what this promise is and what we're heirs to. This is going to be really hard to grasp and understand. Okay? And I use analogy, I think a couple months back, that I want to use again, uh, which I'll use after these verses, but just listen, lean in, and listen to what it says. Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Ephesians 3.6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Romans 4.13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of what? Heir of the world. This is our inheritance as believers, the world. Did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If I, Dan, if I told you right now that I had a check for a million dollars written in your name. Yeah. Written in your name, funds are verified, they're in the account. Would the rest of your day be a little bit different? I mean, how would there be a pep in your step when you, when you, when you left uh, this morning? I think so. That is nothing, nothing, nothing compared to what is promised to us here. That in just a short time, we will inherit the entire earth. There will be a new earth, we will be seated with Christ, and we will be ruling and reigning over it. This is insane. And these are the deeper truths that we have to pray for God to allow our hearts to even understand what that means. And I've heard someone use an analogy, what does that mean to reign with Christ? How can we both own everything? It's like a marriage when you buy a house together, you don't have separate rooms that you own. You own the whole thing. And there's not some agreement about you're in the house at this time, I'm in the house this time, we own this share. It's just something that is agreed upon. You just, there's no having to discuss it. So supernaturally, when we get in heaven, I don't know how God's going to do it, but we will rule and we will reign and we will inherit the entire world. Why is that? Because as Christians spreading the gospel and the good news, we are sons and daughters of a king. And his kingdom is the entire world and heaven and everything inside of this universe. And so we now are inheriting the kingdom that we've been so working to grow. Does that make sense? We're we're here on earth our mission is to take the gospel into all the lands and to expand God's kingdom. And in turn, we become heirs of the promise, because we are princes and princesses of the Most High God, the King of the universe. This is crazy. First Timothy 2:11 through 13 says, Here is a trustworthy saying: if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And that's to support what I just said. This is God's promise to us as sons and daughters of the king, as kings and queens in his kingdom. This is what Paul held on to. When when you face your darkest hour, the wildest storm, the biggest challenge, uh, some of you, I mean, you've lost loved ones, and, and that's something I can't even grasp or fathom what that is like. In those dark moments, What do you hold on to? Paul being beaten and thrown in jail and prison over and over, the majority of his life was in prison. And he's writing all these stories about hope. And he's encouraging people outside of prison. Why, because this is what he laid on to. This is what his heart was fixed to, that his home was not here. That his home was there in eternity and in a short time he was gonna be there. Hope comes from knowing that God always keeps his promise. Paul was the worst of the worst, a killer of Christians, and he wrote almost all the New Testament. So I don't care what you've done, I don't care where you've been, I don't care how much of a sinner you think you are, how much wrong you've done. There is nobody that is too far gone or who's done too much to not deserve God's love. That all it takes is just a slight shift in your heart towards him, and he's right there. And he's ready to forgive every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future. This is what Christ bought on the cross with his blood. Our forgiveness for all sin. Third and finally, hope comes from knowing that our soul is securely anchored in heaven. That our soul is securely anchored in heaven. I'm talking to uh, believers here. Verse 19. We have this, and hopefully, Look, you don't have to believe to belong here. We're, we're glad you're here. This is why we're here, is so that you would come. And so that you may hear about the gospel and respond. That's why we do church every single Sunday, to equip the saints and to invite an opportunity for people to get saved. And so I just want you to know this could be yours. This could, I could be talking to you and Christ is calling you here. You're not here for an accident, you're here on purpose. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now this is just Old Testament language describing the tabernacle. Before Jesus came, a high priest, once a year, went into the Holy of Holies in this tent where God's presence remained, God was everywhere, but it's where where the sacrifice would be done in order to atone for all the sins. This was just a foreshadowing of what Jesus was gonna do. But it was flawed, it wasn't perfect. So they're using Old Testament language to speak to the Hebrews, because they would understand exactly what this means. The veil, the curtain, he's a forerunner. The writing is an imagery that they would relate to. Now this anchor of the soul, many of you know how an anchor works. You've probably been on a boat, you've seen an anchor. Maybe you got one tattooed on your arm. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 6.19. I got that that's why I say that it's so lame what a nerd total nerd they would have known this imagery of this anchor because they were on the Mediterranean Sea so this whole nautical thing shipping, exporting, importing goods and and, uh, products and uh, uh, fishing and exploration would have been very familiar to them because the sea is right there right so they would know this language this imagery anchor which is attached to a chain that is attached to a boat okay and the purpose of that anchor is what is to keep the boat safe to keep it steady to keep it stable so that in the wind and in the current that ship will not crash on the rocks So that through the storm, that ship would be safe. It would be secure. This is what the anchor is for. But what the verse is saying is that this anchor is not just like an anchor that's in the sea. It's in another place. Where, Where is this anchor? A hope that enters into the heaven placed behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. The anchor is in heaven and Jesus is the anchor. And for many of my life, many years of my life, especially when I was, I was younger, I, I thought, and, and I've talked with Christians before, and I've got this sense that they've, they think this way as well, is that there is a rope attached to the anchor, anchor. And it's dangling out of heaven. And in order to be saved, I've got to grab onto that rope with all my strength, with all my might, and I need to hold on. As tight as I can. So that at the end of my life, I may be in heaven. With all of my strength, if I could just hold on. Some of you may be walking your Christian life like that. Like, if I could just hold on a little bit longer. If I could just hang on to the hope. Hang on to Jesus. And I want to tell you something. That that is not what Jesus bought with his blood. He bought something completely different. The rope is just as secure to the anchor to him as it is to you. The rope is wrapped around your soul and it's tied tight and he's not letting go. Jesus has a hold of that rope and he's just holding on and you run and you try and escape it. And he just keeps following after you. He just keeps chasing after you. And in our darkest hour, we, we crawl call out to him. But on Saturday night, we're in the club. We're like, Jesus, leave me alone. Give me 15 minutes. Stop bothering me. Just take the night off. I'm trying to get my freak on. But God is still there. And it's like. I just can't shake him I just can't get rid of him this is why Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 and 21 now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great Shepherd of us the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant This is a new covenant. This is different than sacrificing lambs every year for our sin. No, this is something that is done, that is finished. Equip you with everything good so that you may what? So that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. This is what that means. God has equipped us To hold on to the rope that is holding on to us. That we are only able to do anything that is pleasing to God. Because Jesus is holding on to us. Beckoning us to do things that are pleasing to God. To go in the right direction. Jesus did not buy a dangling rope. He bought your soul. And he's not letting go. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this. This is Paul. Not that I have already obtained all this. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I'm on this journey still. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This is exactly that image. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The ability for us to press on is what Jesus paid for. Does does that make sense? That the only reason why we have the strength and the power and the might to hang on is because Jesus is holding us on. He's not allowing us to let go. He's beckoning us. He has put that in our will that from the moment we're saved and we see that Christ is real and we've committed Uh, When we've asked for forgiveness of our sins and we've asked God to come into our life from that moment on and we see him for who he is we have got a a rope wrapped around our soul and it is secure and it is steadfast and so I don't know if you're here this morning and you've been living your Christian life trying to work up the ladder and trying to do all these things to impress God trying to do all these things to be in God's favor trying to do all these things to Make up for the sin that you committed last night. That's not the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It's not what He paid for. He paid for a rope that is so secure that He's not letting go. He shed His blood for it. This is what makes the good news good news. This is what makes the gospel so scandalous is that God in his grace would do something like this. Who is this God that at the moment we confess Jesus would pardon our sin and forgive us? Who is this God, the most gracious and merciful God you will ever know? And in just a short time, man, we've got an inheritance that we're gonna acquire and that, if that does not fill you with hope, I don't know what will. But I wanna ask you this morning that if you do not know Jesus, you have not committed your life to him and just said, God, forgive me of my sins. I, I, in humility, I, I can't do this without you. Life is hard. I can't do this on my own. I need a savior. That's why he came, not to judge us, not to condemn us, but to save us. He didn't, God didn't send a condemner, he sent a savior. That's why Jesus came, to rescue us. And it's okay to say, I need a rescuer, because we all do. I need him every single day. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning, if you do not know Jesus, or maybe... You've walked away from him, and it's been some time, and you're saying, God, I'm sorry. I know you're holding on to me, but I'm coming back. And he's there ready to just welcome you in his arms. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that so graciously sent his son to die a death that we should have died. But no, he came in our place. Is that good news? man? Bow your heads, close your eyes.